Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Paul and I'm here with Gar. That is me. Would you like to and play today? a game? <laughs> yeah, I would. I'd like to get on and play some PlayStation. <laughs> Although I've been playing it all fucking day. Mm. Actually, no, I was on Xbox today. Uh, yeah, that's not a good console. Well, that's all right. I like it. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's broken on the game. Yeah. Uh, right, today's episode is an interesting one. Uh, we are going to do an episode called stage versus studio where we pick our favorite live versions of songs that we think are better than the studio version yes so it's um, hard, harder people, than you think yeah it was hard it was actually hard because i wanted to get the amazing ones in mm. and not just i i, I kind of went with half my favorite and half like i always do mm. as much as i can half my favorite and half the ones that i think need to be said mm. um so oh yeah there's loads of songs that you'll think of, you'll forget, are actually live versions. That yeah, are your favorites. I've picked a couple of them and you go, yeah. oh yeah, that's the, you wouldn't even think. And actually, when you go to YouTube or anything, the live version is the first one that comes up. Yeah, and some songs forget. are like the famous versions of them are live and you don't know. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So looking at your first one, that's yeah. probably one of the most famous live versions that is yeah. head and shoulders above the studio one yeah 100% so my, my first one is Iron Maiden with Fear of the Dark so <laughs> I, I do have a soft spot for that album I bought that album on cassette while on holidays in Kinsale and Cork from uh, one of those little spinny wheels in a newsagent's I think I had I'd saved up like 11 pounds or whatever it was for the album and I bought it and I had my tape player my little Walkman because um, I didn't want to be there because I was whatever age I was 13 you don't want to be in a family holiday especially in Cork yeah. And uh, so I had me, me little Iowa uh, headphones, uh, Walkman, and I bought this tape. And I, I had heard, like, I, I think I had, like, Power Slave and stuff like that. It's your average 13 year old metalhead sap, yeah. you know, with a, with a <laughs> German army jacket with, like, a big Metallica logo fucking marker on the back of it, that type of stuff, you know. And uh, bought this album because I think it only just come out. It was 1992 or something, 1993, I can't remember, uh, that the album came out. And I was mad into it. A lot of people hate that album, but I, that's some of my favourite Maiden songs are on there. Like the, the, um, I don't get why they, like I don't really get metalers in general these days. Or yeah. back then, even I don't really see what the problem with that album is. It's good. It's, album. Not, like the, it's not like the other stuff. Is it, but it actually is sort of. I thought. Yeah, kind of is. Yeah. Like Chains of Misery and stuff like that might might be a little bit more poppy or less evil, but that's fine. You right. know. Um, that's what I was doing. The evilness. The yeah, evil. it's not as evil. But then again, like this song, Fear the Dark, is one of the most evil songs they ever wrote. But I always yeah. remember listening to that song obviously the title the title track off the album going like this is an amazing song but never felt right to me never felt right until I heard um, now here's the thing about it I picked the version I picked is from Live at Donovan I'm looking at it now I just realised that yeah. I was like you didn't pick the, the one I thought you picked yeah and I'll tell you I'll tell you why because I went through all of the live versions right I went through all of them uh, it's not on uh, Live After Death because that's too early right it's on the, whatever the next big live Iron Maiden album is because um, you have to get the timing right on these things because Iron Maiden have been around for so long and have so many live albums because they their, their shows are such a big kind of production that everything gets recorded so I went through all of the live versions of Fear the Dark and I'm not going to lie to you they're all almost identical right the band are that good at what they do they're just they just clown songs there's very little messing around very little kind of um, they don't add it in they just get up there and they play play the fucking song straight through and they have their own you know uh, sound engineers and recording equipment so everything is of very high quality of recording to begin with so I picked this one I picked the one from Donington 1998 
um, which is just a bit different. That's all. Um, all the Brazilian listeners are instantly tuning out now. Of course, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> it's rock and Rio. Yeah. I know, but it doesn't really matter. Like you said, that's such a high quality live band that it doesn't matter. Like I, I picked this one because you never hear anybody talking about this live Adonkin album, and the set list on it is really, really good. So, like I said, this is one of my favorite Maiden songs anyway. But there's something about how do I even explain it? It's not the crowd that make the song in the live the version. Mu- the mutants. Uh, yeah, it's not the Iron Maiden. The Iron Mutants. It's not them, right? It's. <laughs> I don't, you know what? Iron Maiden fans are sound, but you said you know these are mutants, right? These are. Yeah, yeah. Everybody who's a super fan of any band is a mutant. It's just, just that simple. Especially Iron Maiden. Especially Iron Maiden. I but know they're likable. They're likable. They are. Mutants, they're generally nice fellas. I knew two or three of them that used to. Uh, they done the done the whole thing where when Dickinson was flying commercial flights, they would go on holidays just to say Bruce Dickinson flew yeah. them on the holidays. That's what they and would they, do. They are a worthy band to have a mutant following. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, what I mean is, I think the band are good enough that that, that mutant tree spawns from that. It's, no, it's, it makes it's, sense. It's a char- it's a charming mutant tree. Absolutely. Like, there's a lot of bands that are that have mutant fans. You're like, really that band? Mm. Well, Iron Maiden. Yeah, Pantera. Point. Pantera. What's the point? Well, like I do think they're amazing. Like, I think they're great. Their fans are their fans are not the right kind of mutant. But the ropey is what they are. Ro- yeah, a lot of them, a lot of need to just relax or just. <laughs> Kiss a fella or whatever, yeah, whatever you need do whatever. to do. Yeah. Get that out of your system. Exactly. Um, so, uh, like I said, I know, I know a few of those guys, but there's something about the live version of the song. And like I said, it's not the crowd. The crowd do add a little bit to it. Um, it's not the the fact that it's not like picture perfect. I think it's the fact, and this is a weird one. I think it's the air. Right, it's gonna, that's going to sound weird, <laughs> but I think that Did they that, captured the Dunnington air on the yeah. On the uh, it's just that live air, right? It's there's something about the way the guitars sound when you know they're being played in a big giant stadium out into the darkness, and you can hear it. You can hear it. Like I'm going to play a bit of it, right? Yeah. And tell me, tell me you can't hear. Like close your eyes and tell me you can't. Like you can't automatically tell that it's night time. It's dark, the lights are low, and this fucking evil bleeding riff is playing, and Dickinson singing his bollocks off, and the crowd are holding up lighters, whatever. You can feel the 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 effect that they they tried to do in, in the studio, but just couldn't do. Um, here we this, here's a little bit of fear of the dark here now.
I'll have to correct myself now. I just realised that that song wasn't even released when they did Rock and Rio, so they couldn't have played it in Rock and Rio. Yeah, like I said, there's two, there's two famous the original. Ones. Yeah, uh, the original Rock and Rio. Yeah, there's two, there's two real famous Iron Maiden albums. There's uh, Live After Death and Rock and Rio. They're the two big ones. But th- this album wasn't. You have to go after. Um, there's, a, there's still about six versions of, of this song on their live albums because they're swine thrilled. It's like every year they release a fucking live album, Iron Maiden. And yeah. they're all pretty, all pretty up there. But like I said, I think with this one, the, the kind of extra member of the band is just Nighttime Air. As, as stupid as that sounds, there's something about the kind of natural reverb and the space and the kind of hollowness of the open air concert being pumped back in via the microphone that you can hear it. And it makes more sense to me. Now, whether it's more proficiently played in the studio, that's not really up for argument. Like, it definitely is. You know what I mean? It's tighter. Um, you can hear everything perfect, all that kind of shit. But for the effect that we're in Maiden are trying to get across with this song of Fear the Dark, like live is the only way forward the only way forward um there's actually better versions of this on on a couple of bootlegs um i have a couple of bootleg cds like uh, just mix and desk recordings and some of them are incredible but again they're not official so they're not on spotify so you're stuck with this one um, but yeah, it's just so many, we could make so many playlists of stuff that's not on spotify oh right? dude you don't understand i was last night i had to play i want to play that whoop whoop that trick song Terence Howard from the Hustle and Flow soundtrack, but that's not that's on there. Song. It's amazing. Really? So I had to play the original that's one. That's actually that's actually a typical song that would not be on Spotify. If yeah, it's it's silly. Soundtrack. It's not great for soundtracks. Uh, Spotify. Yeah. And um, so I, the the original one is a guy called Al Capone wrote it, and I played that. It's not as good though. And it's too long. It's it's him referencing the film, and it's not as good. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. the of the film. You're like. Ugh. Sick and I, yeah. And uh, the riff's not as good either. So uh, it's slightly, yeah. slightly edited for the movie. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's my first one. Fear the Dark, Live at Donington, 1998. But like I said, it, it literally, it could be any live, decent live recording of Iron Maiden. So yeah. that song needs to be live. Like it's great on the record and it fits, but it's missing something, you know. That extra moving mechanic to the song is just darkness. That's all it is. Stone Maiden need a bit of open air darkness. Uh, who was your first one? My first one is a song that we talked about on the radio show the other day. Uh, Aerosmith Dream On, mm. which is the, the classic from like the 70s. And it always sounds strange when you listen to it because it doesn't sound like Steven Tyler initially. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. It's because it's, you know, when he was first coming out, he didn't have that. He hadn't become like Mick Jagger yet. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Really. He had an incredible voice, don't get me wrong. Hmm. But it doesn't really sound like the Stephen Tyler. Uh, I was going to call him a sleaze merchant. But that sounds yeah. like something that, uh, fucking the newspapers would call him. True. <laughs> just, True. Just, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> sleaze merchant, Stephen Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Sleazy yeah, grandfather. In this, uh, he's not even, maybe I don't know, he's sleazy or not. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he just sounds really odd now that we've experienced Aerosmith in their full Aerosmithness yes. uh, through the years, through the 80s and 90s and even late, later 70s oh, yeah. than this um, <coughs> we, we heard the actual Stephen Tyler that was come out, it's not on Dream On mm. um, so I wanted to uh, play the live version of it now this live version is from the 1991 MTV 10 year anniversary show remember yeah. when like music was really really good at this stage Going from the eighties into the nineties was shocking good. Yeah. Like it really, really was. So they did this with the arrangement by Michael Kamen, who did 
like uh, Highlander and mm. Die Hard, Dead Zone, Life Force, and uh, Lethal Weapon. He did Pink Floyd, The Wall as well. But mm. he also did Last Hero, and that's where this uh, song lands on that soundtrack. This mm. version landed on it like I think a year later, maybe not even a year. I don't know. That this soundtrack is unreal. Like Cypress mm. Hill, ACDC, Alice in Chains, Megadeth, Queensrÿche, Def Leppard, Anthrax. Mm. And Michael came in with Buckethead together. Well, at last, at last, yeah, yeah. Look at Cypress Hill, Fishbone, Tesla, Def Leppard, Queensrÿche, Megadeth, Alice in Chains, ACDC. It's yeah, it's a serious lineup. Yeah, it's. I thought Guns and Roses were on that as well. Uh, I'm convinced Guns and Roses were on that. Anyway, um, you'll hear. You'll all. Everyone knows the original of uh, Dream On and how it doesn't really sound like it, but this. Mm. If you want to give it a blast, yeah, is the way Dream On I think sounds best. The absolute way better than the studio version and the best live version of it as well. All right. very well that sounds so good yeah it's like just, that, that, the epic like, it's already an epic song but when yeah. they add Michael came into it and then oh Jesus that version is just I, I want to I want to, a fucking 12 out of 10 yeah exactly I want to go, yeah. I want to go on I want it to, to be too lush I want people to go no too much for me that's that's where it lands yeah. right for me it's the red velvet with fucking red velvet cake with chocolate sauce on top of it made <laughs> in a bowl made of smarties that's and what it is like every, yeah, yeah the whole shebang but the it's, shebang. It, it, I just think the the little runs on the strings coming yeah. up into the bits yeah. just, just make it and having him even without them even without the orchestra Having him sound like himself on this song, yeah, makes it be better. Well, also you've got like the the actual band instruments as well are not like they're not super separated. It just sounds like this kind of cacophony of fucking band yeah. of rock band. And that's that's, that's fine. Up a little bit as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Almost so certainly. That's, uh, it's it is it is in <laughs> it's in an MTV studio, but it's not a studio version. That's a hundred percent live version. Absolutely. Um, MTV comes up a lot. In this, <coughs> I think this mm. is going to because they put so much money behind yeah. things. Look, it just will. Uh, that's Dream On. It's definitely the best version. There's no arguments to be had. Yeah, yeah. So who's Any, who's your uh, who's your next one? My next one is ACDC with a whole lot of, whole lot of Rosie. Um, yeah, this is yeah. I never, I wouldn't, I forgot about this. This, this is definitely. Um, this is off the If You Want Blood album, 
and this is probably my favourite live album of all time. Uh, it sounds, first of all, it sounds fucking incredible, right? Yeah. And, like, it sounds fucking incredible because of the secret ingredient in most live albums, and that is overdubs, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> overdubs are the dirty little secret of every live album you've ever loved in your entire life. It's just the way, it's just the way it is. There's no getting around it. Um, there's overdubs on 99% of live albums. The only ones you don't, you won't get overdubs uh, on are the ones like the MTV Unplugged, where they're recording it on, like, video. You know what I mean? That type of stuff. <coughs> um, yeah, it would be almost impossible, surely, to do that. It, well, it just w- wouldn't make sense. They, they could do it, but it wouldn't make sense. And they could fix it while panning. Well, apparently, yeah. usually, uh, the drums is usually what they do end up keeping from most live things because that's the one thing that people uh, kind of cop onto was like uh, drum separation and stuff like that so if you were to use uh, you got the live version and you had the studio version and say you ripped the studio version of the drums and replaced them with the live one like people would cop it so uh, apparently nine times out of ten they end up leaving the, the live drums and they'll overdub guitars and vocals and uh, right. uh, they don't do it all the time but a lot of the time it's done. There's one coming up now later that um, there was there was a big fight in the camp about. But if you want blood, um, 1978 in the Apollo Theatre in Glasgow, uh, it's the only live album that has uh, Bond Scott in it. Um, after that, Bond's dead, and that's the end of you got a uh, uh, was it Brian Jones, Brian Johnson. Why is it Brian Jones? My fucking brain today. Um, I go again. Drinking, I was drinking last, last night. night. I was drinking last night, gang, and uh, it's just the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, I think this is my favourite live album ever. Uh, th- this version of How Lot Rosie was so good that they released it as a single, and having singles released from a live album is a rarity. So apparently what was supposed to happen is they were... Uh, there was talk about doing uh, Greatest Hits. Now, ACDC have never released the Greatest Hits. The closest thing you ever got was the Iron Man soundtrack, right? That's as close... Oh, yeah. As it ever got. That's why uh, the Iron Man soundtrack didn't sell, um, didn't sell bajillions because it was the Iron Man soundtrack. The Iron Man sold bajillions because it was the closest thing to uh, a greatest hits or a best of ACDC that ever exists. The I band hate the idea. They, I think I know why they don't do a greatest hits because they realised that people will be listening going, every single one of these songs is the same. <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't think it matters to I'm, the ACDC I'm fans. Funny. I'm sort of only messing. Sort yeah, of. sort of. 50%, 50-50. Yeah, I don't, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think hardcore ACDC fans really care. I think that's what they what they like. No, um, and to be fair, I went to see ACDC live for free, right? Mm. And I just went for the crack. I wasn't really expecting anything. Fuck me, man. Like, f- however long they've been touring, yeah. 50 years or whatever, longer. Yeah. Jesus, you get good at it. Of course. Like, like, you get real good at it. And I was watching it going, you have to... You have to appreciate how good these fuckers are. Oh yeah, show. it's outrageous. Like, like it's it, it, like I said, if you're doing that every single night for like the vast majority of your adult life, like how good are you gonna get at anything? You know, it could be waxing surfboards. Like fifty years later, gonna be the best cunt in the world at waxing surfboards. It doesn't matter what it is, you know. Uh, this version is just it's fucking so good. Like now, originally this was on uh, Let There Be Rock, and this version that you hear after live one is a little bit shorter than that original version of Let, Let There Be Rock. I think they chop out the second solo or something like that. Um, a lot yeah. of, What you hear with an awful lot of these live albums is the crowd noise is chopped and added in later, right? And yeah. 
it's just it's just the way it goes. They use tape loops of crowds to uh, kind of make the crowd swell at certain moments. That's what we, when you get a really good live album, you're like, oh man, that gig sounds unreal. It sounds unreal because they they like in post production created the ultimate gig. You know what I mean? They made the crowd yeah. react where or they the think. Beatles, in the Beatles case, they actually had to tone it down. Yeah, exactly. Because that's just and and Michael Jackson would have to tone it, tone it down. Exactly. It's just, too much screaming, screaming. Yeah. exactly and um, so even stuff like the at the beginning of the whole lot of rose you'll hear the, like the angus angus like that was all added in you know that kind of oh, stuff yeah and then they were doing I'm it live this for me yeah. this yeah they, they done it live like it, it did happen at gigs live but uh it was chopped and added in and stuff like that and now this gig was recorded but the footage um all the footage wasn't released and there was a rumor that uh not all the songs that made it to this album were recorded at the apollo theater as well um yeah so, it's, it's easy for me to dismiss ACDC a lot because I think like they're not interested enough for me. But then when I hear them like Tanda, yeah, you're like, yeah. Jesus, that's real good. And also, yeah. this was brand new and mind blowing at the time. Well, absolutely, so, like, like retrospectively looking back before I even had any. Yeah, like, no, I am. Oh, boring. The same yeah. song over and over again. <laughs> I am happy. That ACDC never learned any new tricks, cause yeah, I I I can only imagine what it'd be like if ACDC tried to do like a ballad or a fucking prog rock song or something. It's not that they wouldn't be technically capable of doing it, but what's the point? People yeah. want that that fucking Iron Man shooting rockets out was whole music. Like that's why they picked I th- it. I I thought at the gig it'd be like <laughs> four songs in going. I've had enough of this. I swear, one song in, I was like, oh fuck, this is this yeah. is deadly. Be unreal. This is Deadly. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd yeah. love to see them at some stage. Uh, as it's, I said, this is the last. Very much a, a live band. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And uh, because the music is, it's not simple. Like it's, it's definitely very technically proficient. Angus Young is doing like bananas fucking guitar licks it's on command. Just, they are really, really well written songs. Exactly. I am. Um, the rest of the band are just plonking along, having a bit of crack, which is great. You know, because it's about it's about the singer, whoever the singer might be at the time, and and Angus, like one of the few examples of, like I don't know, I reckon a lot of them are good. To be honest with you, I know. Oh, don't get me wrong, they're shit help, but they're not doing it. Like ACDC sounds, the drummer is just doing far, far fucking like poppy, which is great because it works. What's the yeah. point in doing anything else? You know, the bassist is just plodding along, grooving, and that's great as well. Because if they don't anything else, if they broke out of it and they all start doing weird spirals and jazz fumbles and stuff it's not going to work like the, the the rhythm section has to be like toy as a nun's arse where well, fucking Angus runs around giving it loads when Chris Slade plays with them they do a few drum solos but like you'd watch a Chris Slade drum solo yes you would like um, we're going to play a little bit of How Lot of Rose we play it from the start we'll play a minute or so of it uh, just because why not because it's fucking incredible like I said this is probably my favourite um, live album of all time it's super I even have the special edition CD here somewhere that has a, they they like I said they did record this, but it was never released in full. But I think there's bits and pieces of this gig that that were shot on film on the DVD included with the album. So I need to dig that out and have a look. Uh, this is How Lot of Rosie. <laughs> Small. Four, two, third, nine, fifty-six. You can say she got it all. 
fucking outrageous. Um, and do you know how every song isn't the same? You know when they ch- change the chord with a whole lot of, and they go lower? That's just fucking unreal. Yeah, it's just simple little changes that they make to, to like the main riff to kind of turn into a chorus. Uh, that song is about a 19 stone Tasmanian woman who approached Bon Scott in a bar while they were on tour saying that she had slept with 24 famous musicians that month alone and uh, would he be up for helping her make it to 25 so we went home with her and uh, then wrote a song about did, it did he do the sex he done an L sex and the full sex yeah full sex on this uh, joint Tasmanian woman um, and wrote a song about it uh, so that they have the, that's why they have the big uh, blow up yeah <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah yeah um, that even gives out our measurements and all in that song like it uh, does he goes through the whole lot the whole, the whole <laughs> no, no, literally nine absolute, yards that's an absolute banger it's outrageous yeah. it's fucking outrageous anyway that was uh, again we have to point this out that, that's better than the studio version it's impossible yes. to uh, impossible to capture that energy that's there even if bits of our are overdubbed they have to be overdubbed to that point of energy that, uh, that, that that's being captured live if, so if you, if you think about it like this right with these live versions they play them in the studio once or twice. Well, they play it a lot of times to get that version. Mm. But out on the road, there's well, a chance... of all the bit as well. Like, There's a chance that it's going to do a better version at some stage Absolutely. down the road. 100%. It'll be captured at the right time yep. with the right feel. They'll all be playing with a little bit more feeling. So it's it's bound to happen that there'll be a live version that is better than the studio version in Absolutely. most cases. Yeah. Absolutely. In this case, it's on like their most famous ACDC live uh, yeah. album which is as I said if you want blood it's just pfft, bananas there was a story about why it's called if you want blood I can't remember it's something like fucking oh, somebody asked Bon Scott what he wanted out of fucking music what he wanted out of rock and roll and he said blood or something like that before he ran on stage it's one of these cool quotes that like enemy got off him before that, he ran on stage that's my favourite song by them if you want blood it's, it's fucking if you want blood the song is insane Insane. Every, 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 everything on, on that, a, that album is top shelf. It's on any given Sunday. If you remember that uh, base or American football movie, I know of. I've never seen it. Fucking, that's in that, and it's like, oh, perfect. Lads getting, lads getting their eyes popped out or something. <laughs> horrible. horrible. <laughs> yes, ah, there's nothing better than good good song placement. We talked about it with video games a couple of weeks ago. There's nothing better than good song placement than media. Like, yeah. like it's, it's lovely to have like an orchestral score and stuff like that, and you know, sitting in the mood music. But every now and again, again, you're watching Iron Man fly through the sky, knocking the bollocks out of fucking terrorists and shooting rockets out how fighting big giant yeah. other robots and stuff like you really want ACDC like you, that's yeah. it's nothing else to do bar ACDC you know oh, to the point where oh, the Iron Man armor seems to have that ACDC built into it and just pumps it out like <laughs> when he's fighting like. or else or else he has an iPod in it and he just starts exactly. from A Exactly, that's it. Skipped. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was how Skipped, like skipped Abba and went straight to it's straight ACDC. ACDC yeah. yeah. Uh, who's your next one? My next one is a famous live version, more famous than the original, possibly. I reckon so. Mm. It's uh, "All Apologies" by Nirvana. Oh, yeah, from the MTV Plugged from 1994 live in New York. Uh, I think it is more popular. It is like it is so, more yeah. popular. I know it's. I feel it's better. But it's not arguable, but it's just more popular because if you search for this, you're always going to get the MTV Plugs version. Yeah. Because it just has a... Like, it's... Right, okay, so the original All Apologies is the last song on the last Nirvana album yep. ever released in utero. 
uh, the closing track and it's it's brilliant don't get me wrong but it feels like listening to it unplugged so much I feel like I'm listening to a live version when I'm listening to the studio one and mm. vice versa do you know what I mean like some things feel like they were meant to be mm. and it's just true exposure more than anything else really And but but it's not just exposure it's true to the fact that exposure comes from the fact that this version is better mm. I think anyway uh, the original was released as a, a double A side with Rape Me and uh, nominated for two Grammys in 1995 mm. is that right when this version was 1994 maybe um, so oh yeah this would have been just posthumous posthumously I don't think so you sure? No, not not when he played it live. He it couldn't be posthumous when he yeah. played it live. But I, uh, I, 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 like there's something. Or maybe it was a couple of years later that this got released on LP because they'd done them all, didn't they? It was just a big te- television event. I don't know if there was plans to ever release like it uh, recorded. Yeah. And then they done it after he died, and then everybody got their their fucking release. Well, he died the same year as this. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I can't remember, man. I was too young. Just going, that is cool. I don't care when people died. Mm. Uh, so this was uh, performed last in the, at the four. This song was performed live last, the first mm. March 1994. I, I should have checked when this fucking thing was recorded. In my head, they did MTV Unplugged and he, he died a year later. That can't be true now that I'm doing the math in my fucking head. So I should have checked that. I'll but check I it now. Right. Um, the phone, the phone is on. Stick the song. Stick the this version on for the people who haven't heard. All apologies. Live in New York. Yes. All makes way more sense to me now that I've read them. Same uh, year, which, which I should have done. Uh, it was recorded uh, in November 1993, released 94. in November 1994, and he yeah. died two months, three months later. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. right uh, in my head, I was like, "Fuck! Did I not write that down?" I thought that this was pushed out soon after it was recorded. It was a year. Yeah, they were uh, working obviously on editing this or because there's something in my head about there was no plans to release these things as albums they were just going to be MTV shows and right, like yeah. they were just going to get whatever rebroadcasts kind of plays out of it and stuff like that and then they 
he died. Um, now, that wouldn't have been quick enough. His death wouldn't have been quick enough to turn around. So somewhere, while he was still alive, it was decided to release these as LPs like a year later, you know. Um, so, yeah, there there is there is a difference. Because, like, I mean, it's going to take... It's going to take X amount of time to get those things mastered and sent off to be, you know, whether it be pressed into LP, pressed into CD, tape, whatever, you know, to, to yeah. get, looking at years torn around anyway, so. No, this was released on CD at the same time, as it came out. <coughs> I can't, I don't remember. I, I mean, what is it? No, really? I knew that. Yeah, because I knew that, because Jesus, that was when, like, I, don't, I think in terms of Unplugged initially, you're right, they weren't releasing them on CD straight away at all. They were just like, this is an MTV thing. Yeah. Then they were like, why are we not releasing these then? Yeah, why don't we do this? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Look, here's the thing. We don't get as much time to research everything we want to this thing. And also, in my head, you know when you think you know everything about this song and then you sit down and go, fuck, I forgot oh, yeah. loads about this song. Yeah, I forgot yeah. all the things. I could, have, I could have told you dates and names when I was younger about all this stuff. Absolutely. 100%. Get old Days. and stuff gets pushed out, lads. Uh, but, it, but, you think, but you forget that. You think, okay, that's in the filing cabinet, that's fine. But that filing cabinet's on fire in the bin. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Gone now. If you don't access it every six months, <laughs> yeah. it's gone. Like, you know, it just goes out into the lane yeah. and then someone so collects I was it. Like, I was like, okay, I run a low on time to do my research. All apologies. I'm pretty sure I'm good with that one. I'm fine with that one. I'm fine with that one. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Couldn't get my dates right with that one. Don't give a shake. Be uh, it's, what's the, You all know it's the, best, the better version. It is, yeah. The, the fact that the guitar is slightly out of tune and he's kind of banging on it like he hates it as well. And you all can't, rem- can't remember the uh, original letter. It's been a while since. Actually, no, I listened to In Utero a couple of months ago. It's not, it's not massively different. <laughs> it's just, you can tell that it's chunkier. Yeah, yeah. I listened to it a while ago. I don't fucking. Right, I, I, I was the halfway through. It, it, it's, you're right about the guitar <coughs> being. Just slightly out. And he's louder because. He didn't like how low he was on this album. And mm. I think that was uh, fixed in the remasters, but... Yeah, there was more. Uh, yeah, he was really unhappy. Steve Albini, was it? It's Albini, yeah. The yeah, version yeah. they sent in to the record label was rejected, and it was sent off to be remixed and remastered somewhere else, and they hated the version of it that came out. Yeah, yeah. That's why... They, he, like, this was, they, they, he was so particular about this album. Yeah. I don't know if he... He would have ever gotten it the way he wanted it, or whatever. Yeah, but what was this? It was about six, seven years ago. They released the Albini version of it. it was like the, the black covered in utero uh, with, with the Albini mixes on it. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't know if I ever properly listened to it. Well, I, I don't think I bought it. Kurt Cobain liked the Albini initially. He had to keep fighting with him, going, "My voice is too low on this." Oh yeah, because Albini's a prick, like but famous he, prick. He famously mixes stuff low. Yeah. I got weird comments on my video about my vo- voice being too loud on my song. Really? Was on People are weird about that. Random or stuff. Yeah, do you ever just, like, was, oh. To be fair, if you only listen to pop music now, the vocals are mixed so high oh, yeah. that yeah. people are getting used to that being a thing. It's not nice. Absolutely. Go back and listen to... I always say to people as well, like when I was doing that Empire record last year and I play it for people, those people who like listen to pop music and listen to like rap music and stuff like that, would say and the vocals are very low on it you know I can't understand what you're saying and I'm like it doesn't matter yeah. it's garbage anyway like it's fucking yeah, it's I, fuck. I talk shy it's like I, I'm, I'm thinking along like the lines of stuff like uh, downward spiral and shit like that where the vocals are kind of sank in a little bit and like it's yeah. the, the vo- voice is used in an instrument more I'm not conveying a message exactly. I'm not trying to sell you a fucking washing machine here you know what I mean like yeah. I, I guarantee you I'm not saying anything too important I, I guarantee you that because I don't have too much uh, things of importance to say. So, Are you ever walking through like uh, a 
supermarket and there's a pop song on mm. and you're getting to the back speakers because actually sometimes I don't know why I remember I was working in Dunn's before and they had their stereo speakers panned oh yeah yeah that happens it's terrible yeah but you'll realize how high the vocals are mixed when you can you're over the music side and you can still hear the vocals too loud and you go over the door I remember hearing Rihanna I'm going I have to listen to that when I go home to see if that's actually that loud and whatever song it was was just the the vocals were so loud in the song I just don't really like it I played Doesn't Rihanna last last night. I played S and M, which is a fucking killer. That's the song it. I was just thinking of. Yeah, it's, a it's, lo- it's fucking outrageous, outrageous. Although instead of you know what, phonetically, not phonetically, but that line, chains and whips excite yeah. me. Chains, so much whip, better. Night, night, man. So much better if it's whips and chains because also you're all, <laughs> already used to whips and chains, but it works. It flows better in the song. Yeah. So I must I must give her a buzz there and take that up with her. Do 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 a little remix for her. You might not be too late to fix that. Uh, anyway, what's your next one? <laughs> My next one is uh, one of the most famous live albums of all time. And it's Tin Lizzy and I picked Don't Believe a Word off Live and Dangerous from 1978. Uh, uh, this is definitely 100% better than the uh, studio version. 100%. 100%. Now, uh, this is this is their most controversial live album ever. Yeah, I remember hearing stories about this. <laughs> so... The whole idea was uh, Tin Lizzy had been working with Tony Visconti for a while and they wanted to go into the studio and make a new album but he was up to his bollocks in other projects and he just didn't have the time. He just did not have the time to commit to a full scale record with Tin Lizzy. He wanted to but he was already booked up. So the lads had an idea they were like well why don't we do a live album and Visconti was like absolutely I can 100% get behind a live album um, take half the time and I that's the time I have so they said alright cool yeah. so they booked um, recorded like a, a bunch of shows and you ended up with songs from uh, London from Philadelphia from Toronto being used on this album uh, it was London 76 Philly 77 Toronto 77 as well and uh, in 1978 then the year that it was released they brought it to Paris to a big studio in Paris to kind of mix it and all this kind of shit brought all the tapes they sat through 30 hours of live recordings picking the best versions of songs and all this kind of shit you know and sat down now here's where it gets weird the the level of overdubs is in high contention here between Visconti (laughs) and the band right the band say that like ninety nine percent of it is live. So like, no, absolutely ninety nine percent. Like we 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 uh, overdubbed a bit of guitar, and we overdubbed a bit of guitar. And one of the songs that we used was actually from a sound check, so we had to overdub crowd crowd noises in behind the sound check because there was obviously nobody in the arena. So that's what the band that's the band story, and they're sticking to it. Visconti says. Nah, man, 75% of that was done in the studio. Like, we kept the drums and the crowd noise, <laughs> and everything else is overdubbed. And this guy's like, I, fucking, like, I can prove it. Like, I have this, the recordings. Like, the master tapes are here, you know what I mean? And the band are like, absolutely not. And they, they were giving out then. The band were like, we're so loud, there's no way you could do that many overdubs because of, like, mic spillage and shit like that. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think Tin Lizzy actually understand how, how, like, recording works, you know what I mean? I just I, I don't like if you're not playing something completely different it'd be grand here's the thing right if they go to Tony <coughs> Biscotti for a live album they wanted a fuck ton 
of production on that. Absolutely, because you don't need he's, a producer for David Louis Bowie's. Bowie. He's David Bowie's producer. You're gonna go and yeah, <laughs> sorry, you know, like he was probably like, we don't do live albums. What are you talking about? Yeah, what do you need me for? Like, well, we know what they need him for. I don't know. Well, it's anywhere still a fucking whopper live, but. I, absolutely, like I, I know a couple of people that saw them in the heyday and were fucking blown away. And I'm, don't get me wrong, but the difference is when the, the st- yeah, but yeah, but at the same time, can you imagine going, Brian? What did you think of Tim Lizzy? You saw, you saw them, didn't you? Yeah, all right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're gonna ramp that story up, of course, oh, yeah. lad. You well, I tell you, it. yeah, I grew up <laughs> with Phil Lynn. Back in the day, did you not see the beer bottle? Do you remember they used to a big thing? If you go back to like the nineties, everybody, like everybody older that you knew, like fucking your uncles, or your dad, yeah. or your your mates, dad, they, every single one of them had a fill in a story. They're like, oh yeah, yeah they used like, to go over to his gaff and all. <laughs> I remember one time Phil in bought me a point. I say he bought me a point. He bought himself a point, but he didn't drink it, and I had. It. I said that he didn't drink it. He drank most of it, and I just yeah. drank the last bit. I was working in the bar, and I licked his glass. Yeah, exactly. I saw him once. Like that. Everybody. Everybody had fill in the stories about playing football with him on a team. I got to school with him. I'm, I met in one year. I think I met about eight people that told me like the wrong story about where he, where he was from and everything. You know what I mean? Like I went to school with him and like uh, in in, uh, in Drumcondra. What? You know? Oh yeah, in Westmead we went to school together. What? Like everybody just had lawyers. It was like everybody from Finglas knew everybody Maslan as well like even to this day you talk to anybody 50 years of age and up in Finglas and they'd be like ah oh, yeah 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 you know going over having a few cans with the lads in Aslan like I knew lads who were telling me that like the drummer at Maslan was going to give them, give them a drum kit you know what I mean that type of shit like that's probably true is that true I doubt it I mean Aslan like they probably live in council houses in Finglas still like they'd have a few bob but nothing nothing bananas like not enough to be giving away drum kits like drum, drum kits at least a one oh. I, I doubt it then we had an old yes. snare floating around there's a snare yeah. you know what I mean a cymbal you know broken a guitar amp or something like that but I knew that many people um, when, I, when I was growing up in Finglas that were talking about Aslan like as in like they were starting a band off Aslan's back we're going to call ourselves Baslan at, uh, they're going to support Aslan it'd be unreal uh, but yeah this don't believe a word I think this is just A overdubs or not this is a better version of the of of this fucking of the studio version. It's just I don't works. I don't really like the original, and whenever I hear this, I go, "That sounds like it's yeah. pacier, surely." Yeah, it's it's a tiny bit faster, you know. It's 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 a couple of percentage faster, and it's it the guitar sounds a bit better. His voice sounds a bit better. The guitars definitely sound better on this. Yeah, there's just there's just something about it. I'm gonna play a bit of it here now. I'm gonna put, we're gonna play it from from zero. And uh, we'll get a minute or two with this bad boy. Oh, 
I'd bet the bottom end of my bollocks that solo was definitely overdubbed. <laughs> I mean, it you can just too hear nice. It. Yeah, you just hear it. You just know that that's a studio. Whatever about uh, you, could, you could go fifty-fifty on the guitars because they kind of have that weird transistory type of feel. Yeah. Um, you, you, they're a little bit noisy, and I think if, if they were a studio, they would be a bit more rounded or something. But that guitar solo, like I, I bet me balls that 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 was dubbed dubbed in almost certainly. It's just too. It sounds a little bit different from the other guitar amps and everything. Like so. I don't know if I, if I had to if I had to do it if I had to I I don't know if I believe Visconti about seventy five percent of it being. Did, did you dubbed. hear the stories about the crowd though? Is that well, in your... They looped that as well. Like all, all the crowd, like they were using crowd noise from fucking London and using that in the songs they're recording I, in Philadelphia. I shit. heard that it was uh, bits from Bowie's live stuff as well. Could possibly be, um, like I, just whatever. Like Visconti, whatever <coughs> had it. It's Visconti, not Visconti, is it? Visconti, yeah, yeah, had just better crowd sounds. From him. He just had the library of cunt screaming. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, right. These, uh, these maybe, yeah. ones are very, very high end, very toppy. I have got ones here that record with better. I don't know. Maybe I heard that. I heard that Live and Dangerous has Bowie's crowd. Now I don't know how true that is. I, I, maybe I, I something in my head about I don't because I, I went to see Bowie live, and I don't remember anybody screaming and shouting. Like, I don't think his songs are screaming, shouting songs. Uh, they would have been at this time. Maybe. At this this year? Oh, Jesus, yeah. Jesus Maybe. Christ. In the Jesus se- Christ, yeah, late yeah. 70s. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, I yeah, love the, doing a crowd noise with the back of my neck. Back of my he can have, we can sell that to uh, yeah. Tony Visconti's to fucking... Um, <laughs> his, his library whoever's in charge of his library yeah. Um, yeah so like I said there was one song that was a sound check that they definitely just took some crowd noise and laid that in underneath I don't, I don't know what song it was none of them even if they said what song it could have been that one uh, I doubt it but I tell you it was this one of the kind of slower a, ones this is a don't believe a word I can't do I want to, I can hear Phil in his voice in my head yeah it doesn't very, come out very hard to do I am the worst at accents in the fucking world. I am brilliant. I'm good at them, but I can't do fill in. I have to practice. I can't do. It. I just can't. Everybody just sounds fucking Jamaican. It's just that. It's, I have that course, <laughs> that Jamaican accent course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do Scotland, yeah, man. Like I just can't. Just, <laughs> everyone just comes out like that. Even if it's not that in my head. If 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 in my head I'm doing the full fucking Scottish patter, like what comes out is fucking rice and beans. Like absolutely. No, like I, I can do. So many accents from all around the world. Do that lad from Crumlin. Uh, yeah. I can't do Phil Linnett's voice. You know what? My voice isn't uh, deep and echoey enough to do his Yeah, voice. maybe. It's, maybe. Sometimes you just can't make your throat do it. Yeah. Right. Uh, that was Don't Believe... Oh, Jesus, Don't Believe a Word. I can't, I can't fucking talk. Um, of Live and Dangerous. What was it 1978? It's, it's just a better version. It's just a better version. And I don't care how they made it. I don't care. I don't give a shit. It's also like if you're if you're going to DJ it, that's the one you play. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you were going to bang it out, um, th- th- that's always been one of the the problems with a lot of live recordings. That even the ones that are better, I I've we, often yeah, found we can't we, play them sonically. Can't do it. Yeah, sonically, there's no depth to them. They're like they're they're missing all the studio magic that makes the speakers rumble. You know, they're tinny, they're real yeah. flat. Uh, yeah. yeah, no. Um, so like in terms of like DJing, not really. That's why you do get away with this because apparently <laughs> so much of it is studio. <laughs> like, it, yeah. like, like you can feel your body wobbling when that's played 
loud, you know what I mean? Because sonically, yeah. the full depth of the music is there. Well, loads of them are just the kind of skin, the skin on the fucking boiling milk. That's that's all they are, you know. Uh, what is your next one? My next one is two, but it's kind of a medley. They kind of blend into each other, mm. and it is Elvis's Hound Dog, and yeah. all shook up from his '68 comeback special. So I grew up listening to these originals. Like, I don't think anyone my gaff. My mom was a massive Elvis fan. But Ma always tell the story about how someone stole her Elvis records when she was mm. a kid. And that's all she'd ever hear like, from her about Elvis. So I think maybe that stayed with her and she didn't really listen to much Elvis in the gaff. Because mm. uh, of that. Like, Ma's always have a story about I remember that. Yeah. Stole my records. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had so many. You had about six, Ma. That's not a lie. They were dear. <laughs> yeah. They were dear. And you used to pick coal up off the road. Let's be honest. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But like... Like I'd like to say, like that Elvis was always played on the gaff. It wasn't, but I still know these songs inside mm, out mm. because they're Elvis. He's the biggest. Can't help it. Like, biggest. Even if you don't like Elvis, you know loads of songs. So you know you're already like Hound Dog. Mm. You know you know you know that people are singing in their head already. Also, go yeah, come on, that'd be silly. But when I heard these versions, I was like, because these these weren't versions were never played to me in the gaff, or I never mm. heard them on radio like that until. I don't know when this was. I might have saw this on Channel 4 or something late at night or something. I'll tell you this, right? About, what year is it now? It's 2021. In the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a massive resurgence of this gig in particular, the 68 Comeback Mm. Special. There was a big thing where they were shown on TV. It must have been some sort of anniversary or some shit like that. And there was a big, big deal about, like, it could have been the anniversary of his death or something going on. But they were showing them on fucking telly, they were playing on the radio. There was, like, Elvis t-shirts and pennies. Like, there was a big push on Elvis. Because, like, I'm the same as you. Like, there was Elvis on. My, my family aren't a musical family. Like, I never heard my Elfle, like, playing music. Like, he did. He had a couple of tapes that he put on in the van driving to Wicklow or something like that but like he didn't know jack shit about music my ma wouldn't know who fucking Elvis is probably you know what I mean Uh, (laughs) it's just it's just not not into it who? yeah who? Elvis who? like don't be silly come on no she would have been like she's not a Beatles no she my ma went to see Tin Lizzy she went to see the Ramones she went to all these gigs you know and I I remember asking her I was amazed because like the Ramones played Cabra Tin Lizzy played Cabra like there was a big kind of a a bingo hall a ballroom out there I can understand Tin Lizzy playing Cabra from being like fucking the Ramones played uh, played Cabra I think twice yeah but Ramones playing yeah. Cabra is monstrous. Mm. Yeah. The Ramones play Cabra, yeah. I think they played there twice in the the Grand the Grand Bingo Elvis Hall. Elvis played Fibrogues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, my Elman went to all these gigs. And I remember when I found this, I was like, for real? You went to see the Ramones? He was, yeah. I was like, was it good? No. <laughs> what do you mean? No. She goes, no. Started <laughs> shouting and screaming. Your, your mom just did that thing I joked about earlier. Mm. I was like, tell you, like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So, but like, oh yeah, like these things I would have picked up off the TV and the radio, you know what I mean? But like I said, I, I definitely remember yeah. like late 90s, early 2000s, like something, something big with Elvis happened. I can't remember what the fuck it was, but he was everywhere maybe then. It was just getting a massive re release on DVD. Mm-hmm. He was, maybe it was 40 years. Could have been, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, this was, uh, this was the one that people might recognize when he came out dressed all in leather. Mm. all leather influenced by like Teddy Boys and I think a little bit more directly Vince Taylor who is the uh, 
Vince Taylor is the guy who spawned Ziggy Stardust. Mm. Anyone doesn't know that. It's the actual person who spawned Ziggy Stardust. He used to always wear all leather and became a famous singer in a, in Paris <coughs> doing rock songs, mm. like rock and Teddy Boy rock and roll. Not quite a lot, Teddy Boy just looked like yeah. that. Then came back to London and uh, went mental. To put, it, to, to, put, to put not too fine of a tune on it, but like, so this marks Elvis Presley's return to a live performance after seven years uh, of doing movies, yeah. which were he knew were garbage. Oh yeah, they were shocking. I watched so many of them as a kid. They used to be on yeah, TV I, every week. I, I liked Elvis back then. I turned him off. I can't stand him. Like him in Hawaii, you know. Oh, that's the one I always remember. I always think of the one in him in Hawaii, and it looks like it was it was coloured in afterwards. Yeah. So the world was moving on with music, and he's like, "Here, I'm fucking Elvis, mate." Yeah. So we went back to do this TV special, to the comeback special, um, and it, it to me it just sounds like he missed it, mm. like a lot. So he did a sitting down session, like where he'll do in the ghetto, I think, or whatever like that, and stuff mm. like that. But this is when he stood up and uh, gave it socks. So if you want to give it a blaster, people yep. will know these two songs. They're kind of a medley, so it's quite short. All right. Do you know what the gas thing is? A lot, pe- a lot of people, uh, a lot of the reviews at the time said it's very reserved for mm. Elvis. And I don't think it was, to be honest mm. with you. Do you know what it was? He's surrounded by a stage of girls who I think were told to relax for most of it. Don't yeah, fucking go mad. Yeah. But they should have let them go fucking put them in. Yeah. The, the, idea, the, the way it was set up, you're better off not really watching too much of that 68 and just listening to, the, mm. listening to it. Because that sounds better than what it was filmed to look like. Yeah, yeah. Because that, listening to that, that's, those are bangers. Oh, yeah. Straight up yeah. killers. And they're, they're playing, like, he's really, he's only like, come on, in the middle, of, yeah, come on. And everything's 10 times faster. And yeah. the brass section are going fucking 90. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I love those <laughs> versions more. Every time I think of, like, good live version, I think of the 68 comeback. Yeah. Do you ever watch the Danzig comeback special he done a couple of years ago? No. Where he tried to replicate the Elvis one. So we got like dancing. 
But he just like rented, it's like a soundstage or something, and he just rent rented it, and they made like, it's like a, I don't even know what the, what you'd call it, like a live performance, but, you know, it's him and an acoustic guitar, and him with a band, and, you know, he's he's got podiums, and he's walking around, there's one where he does like an acoustic, he does like two or three acoustic misfit songs with Doyle, but like Doyle is wearing full can makeup. I, can I ask you something that you'd know more than I would, right? <laughs> right, his last two albums have sounded like, Dort, like yeah, garbage. Yeah. Is he short of a few quid? Uh, I'd say so, to be honest with you. Um, I, I get because, the feeling. Or is he scabby cunt? Well, I don't I don't think he's with, he's not doing anything on like Def Jam American or anything anymore, you know what I mean? So, I, I don't think that the the finance is there. Like, but by the time they done whatever Danzig fucking seven, people were kind of, I kind of stopped caring because yeah. he, he was, he was, he was doing, he thought he was evolving. But what he was doing was just making shite music, and yeah. the, that label would have had infinite money and infinite savage producers, and would have had Rick Rubin sitting on his shoulder and shit, you know. And that when that was taken away, mum, I, I don't know who the fuck's putting out was his records now. I'd, I'd have to check. Is, but did, did he just get like, a yonfla? I, I think, get, yeah, I think we talked about this before. Where I think he probably just knew some fella who worked in Guitar Center who had a studio or something, and he said, oh, "I'll record, I'll do an album a year as long as you don't charge me for it." You know, that, I've, that type never of thing. Se- I've never seen someone. But here's the thing: I know surely there's people that we we would even know that are better producers than whoever yeah. did those last few albums. One hundred percent. They sound like they were recorded in the little cupboard under a sink. Well, I'd, I, to be honest with you, I'd, I'd say the issue more so than the studio they were recorded in and the producer would have been Danzig's attitude to it. I, I, I think that Danzig I think thinks so. I think that, right. I think right. that he just, even if it sounds shite to everybody else, he'll think that's great. And it's raw. Yeah. You know, it's raw. It sounds good. It's raw. And everyone's like, that's garbage, man. It's out with chewing. Yeah. Your voice is broken. Because uh, his voice is shot to shit. Like, it's really, yeah, really fair, shot like, to shit. The way he sings... Yeah, you couldn't keep that up. Like that. It's incredible. Like. Yeah, you just and couldn't keep that, it up. A lot of people take the piss out of Danzig, but he brings a lot on himself, man. He, he, he's, he doesn't seem like a nice person, A. Uh, uh, really. B, musically, like he had one of the most important bands of all time in the Misfits, and then he comes back down this kind of got rock devil shit. That was like shit off of four albums. Like the first four dancing yeah. albums are fucking incredible. And then you've got good songs and stuff after that. But then he starts he starts getting ahead of himself and he starts writing fucking arias and shit like that and deciding he wants to do like opera stuff and he just can't yeah, do yeah. it. And then he wants to be a movie director, he's got that fucking vampire like, movie coming out and Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Fred Durst. Popularity doesn't equate talent. No. You know what no. I mean? Like you can get quite lucky with the people that surround yourself by like Fred Durst and like Danzig. I think he's quite lucky. But Def- definitely. Well, Danzig is obviously I think league's better. But But Dan Danzig's a proper fucking songwriter, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you give he give is. Danzig a guitar, he'll he'll bang you out an album in a week, you know what I mean? And some of it's probably alright. Uh, yeah. uh in that in that regard. I think Danzig's biggest issue has always been quality control. He just doesn't seem to have yeah. it. He doesn't, he doesn't have, it, have it because it, there's no record label, no serious record label on earth that would have let yeah. him put out like that Skeletons album or that Covers album. There's, it's just 
it just wouldn't have happened. Like anybody would have heard that and went, "That's going back in the oven till it's done." Like cause he is yeah, uh, he's it's what happened with Elvis and uh, movies. Yep, exactly. Just to bring it back to Elvis because we have to move off that. Yeah, <laughs> that was Elvis. Yeah, Hound <laughs> Dog and also go from the listen. The sixty eight comeback is uh, a mixed bag, but like like listen to it, it sounds yeah. way better than than the people kind of taking it away from it uh, when you look at it. Definitely. Definitely. Your next one? My next one is we're going back to MTV here. We're going to do uh, Alice in Chains with Down in a Hole. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's just, um, there's something about, this is what, 1996? Yeah, 1996. You can feel the fucking pain. Yeah, the, 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 I love Alice in Chains. I'm a massive yeah. Alice in Chains fan. I uh, don't understand anyone that doesn't. L- yeah, I don't. It, no, right, okay. You don't have to love Alice in Chains, but you should. But I don't get some people. Very rare, very, very rare you'll meet someone that doesn't like Alice in Chains. Yeah, so, you know, someone who's like uh, like actively negative about them. They're shy. It's, I don't think I've ever met any of them. I don't think I've, I've met one person, and I know the problem with them saying it is they said it after I said, I don't think I've ever met anyone that thinks Alice in Chains are bad. Just being an edgelord. And he, and he went, yeah, because he never, he didn't say it like. Off his own free, like you know what I mean? Yeah, it's reactive to you. Yeah, honestly, yeah. them and White Zombie, I thought they're, they're almost two untouchable bands. Yeah, it's pretty impeccable. Like the the, the track record is there, and it can't, it can't be touched. And as yeah. much as I love those albums and I love those songs and all this kind of shit, there's there's something about there's something about the, the the kind of proof is in the pudding there where when you take a song and you strip out all the kind of cool effects and fucking you know distortion and tempo and big banging drums and all this kind of stuff and bring it down to a couple of acoustic guitars acoustic basses and a drummer using fucking reeds or, or you know uh, kind of uh, brushes or something like that and the song not only sounds the same but it, it's not better it's just a different song completely that absolutely works in this new environment and loads of songs don't like loads of music just doesn't work in uh, in, in a kind of acoustic or in a live um, environment it's it can't be done you know like <coughs> I, I have problems with uh, bands like uh, Daft Punk or Chemical Brothers releasing live albums I just like I, I get it they're pressing buttons and they're, they're fucking with to, it. To be fair, the Daft Punk's ones, they, they did add something. They won Grammys for Yeah, like, that, that's like uh, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear... Because it will be so easy. Like, you hear stories about people like Dead Mouse and stuff like that sending, like, just some fucking ringer in with a helmet to press play. You know what I mean? And and yeah. look like he's doing shit. He, like, Dead Mouse pre-recorded his live set and made it sound a bit different and chunky and hands your man the set and the helmet on the USB stick. You're in uh, you're in Israel tomorrow. You know what I mean. You you hear about shit like that all the time with electronic artists. Um, yeah. So like I, I don't want to hear knob twiddling and all that. I want to see people with fucking like chaos pads and trigger pads actively doing course, stuff with the yeah. music. You know what I mean. And there was a problem with I've seen a load of like footage of the prodigy and stuff like that. And there's definitely like backing tracks going. And Liam is just oh, kind of double fucking tapping stuff to, to make it sound a bit weird. And uh, at least they had a. Like like loyal vocalists and stuff like that as well. Guitarist, that would, uh, exactly. Gizbo on guitar. Exactly to to, to kind of add to, to the jazz of it. But when you look at Alice in Chains, you're looking at the core band using weird versions of their instruments. And like I said, you get this new version of the song that's equally as good as the original. I don't think it's better. It's a different song. I'm gonna uh, let me play a bit of down the hole here now. Like it, like the meat 
of the song is still there, but there's something new and different to it that makes it just a different entity altogether. But um, <laughs> do you know what I think I prefer this version as well? Mm. You can you can literally hear the genius of their harmonies. Yep. Jerry Cantrell and Lance Harmonies because they're not uh, matched up perfectly. You can hear them more breaking exactly, apart yeah. a little bit and come back in. So you get to your brain gets to actually decipher what's happening exactly, with them because yeah. it, it can be too easy to listen to Alice in Chains and go, "Wow, it's it's brilliant." But when you actually really, really, really break down what Alice and Chains are doing in harmonies mm. it's fucking up there with Beach Boys genuinely yeah. at, at, at this time there was no one else doing this this was their first gig in two and a half years um, they'd done minimal rehearsals and stuff like that for this gig yeah and uh, apparently when you, when you watch when you watch the gig and you see all the candles and stuff the black candles all over the stage Lane Staley went out and bought them himself he was like I don't want mad lights Honest, I, yeah. I fucking hate that shit. This is meant to be real low key. Let's make it look like a church. So he went out to like the local chemist and just bought a shit ton of candles himself and walked back yeah. into the into the studio. It was recorded in uh, the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Walked in, lit the candles, placed them themselves, and off they go. And all of a sudden, then you end up with this fucking like iconic looking set just because of a load of candles. You know, this um, is the this is the MPV unplugged performance. I've watched by far more than any of the other ones definitely. because. This was what we would do after Fibbers. We would go back and mm. smoke fucking mm. weed and, or hash at the time, whatever, and listen to this or watch this. Because Nirvana's one is great and all, but here, I'm going to say this right now, right? I'm going to say this right now. I don't care that you broke your elbow. No, I'm going to say this right now. I said it be- we said it before. We broke down who were the be- who's the best band out of this scene. And it's yeah. definitely Alice and James. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. They're all incorrectly labelled grunge bar possibly Nirvana mm. very much so and out of all of them Alice in Chains are so far ahead I think 100% yeah. really like I think that Nirvana had the best album yeah but overall Jesus Christ man Alice in Chains are st- do you know what they're mislabeled as a metal band originally yeah uh, a grunge band and an alternative rock band they're transcend all that completely very much that. yeah really I, I, I don't know what type of category you put them into but uh, they're definitely their own thing there's no one else like them there was a million contenders to that throne 
like so many bands tried to do like you had like in bands like Incubus and all that had had a shot at trying to do that style and tried to get that that feel and no one could do it. Yeah. No one no one was capable of doing well, it really. I think I think listening to down the hall there that could be like in the top twenty songs of all time. It's so good. Like, like especially that version of it. Like when you yeah, hear them doing version, it. Because he's fucked. He's he's bollocks. The and lyrics but, are making more sense than they ever absolutely. did. Absolutely. But there's something about being able to hear the core of a song like that with like the acoustic guitars and they're trying to dig in for the chorus they're trying to dig in where there'd normally be like heavy distortion and stuff like that so like Jerry and that like digging in with the picks and you can hear the strings like you know banging off the fretboard and shit but it all adds to this like wonderful experience of hearing like this song fresh even though you've heard it a thousand times like you can listen you could listen to this album every song on Alice in Chains Unplugged you could listen to on repeat and nearly always hear it a slightly different way because with all the bullshit stripped out and don't get me wrong the bullshit's amazing but you take it down to the core to fucking like take the shoes off it and see how it runs and it's keeping up like it's definitely keeping up it's it's an incredible piece of music and uh, is it better than the original no but it's very different Um, (laughs) you know what I mean it's a hard one it's a hard (laughs) one they're on par yeah yeah, it's just a different animal altogether. It's it's almost impossible to compare. I just I wanted to put it on this list because it's one of the best uh, acoustic versions of a song that I can think of. You know, yeah. there's, there's a bunch of really good ones. You've got a killer one coming up um, last, but yeah. th- there's something about that Alice in Chains song. It's just it, it works so incredibly well. Uh, who was your next one? My next one is a very very famous performance, and again another one that's known. Possibly as the most uh, well-known version of it. And it's The Weight by the band from their 1978 Last Waltz performance, which was their final gig. You know, I think they did something later on in the 80s, but it doesn't really matter because this was the band, The Last Mm. Waltz. They were doing a final show, Mm. uh, or I think possibly a set of shows, I think. Um, And Martin Scorsese wanted to to film it and do a documentary about it. <clears throat> this is mad. Have you ever watched the Wal- the Last Waltz? No. You should. You should. Watch I, I, the know, I know of it, but I never watched it. Yeah, you should watch it. It's really, really, really good to watch a band that is talented, out of this world, talented, like mm. musically, out of this world, and write incredible songs. Come to the end and go. You know, we'll do one big, last, huge mm. hurrah, and they're in tears like by the end of the gig and all. Mm. And it's just they're all playing the songs like it's the last time they're playing them yeah, which is yeah. insane if you think about it yeah. and this is my favourite song by them um, the way it's maybe a little bit obvious choice but I don't care sometimes the the best song is absolutely for a, reason. for a reason for a reason yeah um, so this the band are like country soul mm. which has become a thing since the band yeah but at the time mixing those two things together would only borrow from one and help the other. Yeah. But this was really somewhere in between the two. And uh, Jesus Christ, the weight is just incredible. And if you watch this, it feels like they're all actors in a movie. <laughs> it's filmed so well yeah. by Scorsese. But listen to uh, listen to this. Just listen to this song. It's just this version of this song is the best. 100%. I'm a peaceful man 
recording is really good. Separation is fantastic on all of it. It is. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And what you, who you can hear there is the Staples singers, including Mavis Staples. And um, the whole, the, 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 the Staples singers are absolutely doing incredible stuff to this yeah. song. That I don't, I'm pretty sure are not there in the original 68 version. I haven't, this is the thing, I've heard the original 68 version only to compare it to this. Yeah. <laughs> to make sure. Like, that, yeah. Like, yeah. Is it's it mad good. different? It's yeah. good, but it's, this one is, they're all playing with smiles on their faces. Yeah. I, I urge anyone to go out and watch The Last Waltz. It's, it's, it's incredible. And at the very, very end, you hear Mavis Staples saying, beautiful. That's the end of that song. It's really? perfectly finished it off. And it's really, really emotional. Uh, the whole thing is quite emotional. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a performance and then there's a documentary. And I think mm. the documentary performance is the best way to watch it. Yeah. I think. Uh, so check out that. Absolutely. Uh, that's, uh, that's my second last. Second last. Best performance. Is your my last, last one? My last one is a band that I really only give a shit about. Their first, maybe two albums, possibly three. And this uh, is for a me, song. One, one and a half. No, two, two and a bit. Yeah, two and a bit. I think is, is probably about right. Um, and the album that this song is on, it's not mad in it at all, really. But um, I picked Muse, and I picked the song "Supermassive Black Hole" That's because I, I tell you this, I don't really like it. Right. This is weird. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I I don't like the fuck. I just don't. There's something about the way it's recorded that orcs me or something. I, I'm not entirely sure. It bothers the shit on me. It's when and, they went full sort of, oh, they're, they're going for a pop sound. Yeah. yeah. The, it, there's, there's something, I, I, I can't put my finger on it, right? I, I like the fucking, I like that early kind of ish muse where it's kind of rock, alty, fucking crazy singing stuff. I like that weird meal stuff when they start going too too poppy I, yeah. I just, it just it bothered me a little bit and it, but at Do the same time I wasn't so, I wasn't such a massive meals fan that it didn't bother me to let them yeah. go you know I, I mean? don't uh, mind the poppy stuff Do you know what I hate I hate when they're doing some riff that's literally blowing the face off you mm. and then all of a sudden it breaks down to <laughs> There's a bit of that in this song. You're like, this bit shit. Yeah, there's a good bit of that in this song. But I got this this uh, harp album, H A A R P, which is like their live album. And there's a there's a CD and there's a DVD. Now the the performance on the DVD, the set list on the DVD is bigger than the one on the audio. And there's a lot of when you listen to just the audio CD. It's a lot of that kind of newer stuff of the era, and they didn't pay that much attention to kind of the, their roots, and it bothered me. But when you watch the DVD, there's a bit of the older stuff there, and the, it's just a better show. It basically, the DVD version is better than the audio version. There's a bit more there. Um, but when I heard this, I was like, oh, now I can hear like the way they wrote this song, if you get me. As opposed to like all the studio yeah, trickery. Yeah, as, as, as much shit as I give them, sometimes I don't know how they came up with some songs. Exactly. That's, that's, a genius. Like yeah, that. there's just there's a lot of studio fuckery um, in, a, in a bunch of their stuff. And they obviously do slightly different versions live. So when I heard this, I was like, this actually fucking kind of works. And they're playing, they're playing it kind of looser. It's not mad toy. And you can hear Matt Bellamy fuck up a few notes every now and again. And it, and it even adds to it. It's like a whole new version of the song. Let, let me play it for, for a minute or two. Um, yes. Yeah. 
I just prefer that. There's something about them. Oh, yeah, it's me here. Jordan. Yeah. It's, I can hear the instruments doing stuff. I can hear what they wanted me to hear. I can hear how they broke it down so they could do it live. Uh, even the, the the fucking the crunching kind of phaser thing on the bass is bananas. Like, do you know? Do you know what? Like, it, it's a shame that they went so sort of, and they started releasing the good songs on crap albums. Yeah. But do you remember the meme that went around a few years ago? It was. Muse are the favourite band of someone who says, you win the internet today, sir. Yeah. Yeah, very much and so. Yeah. That kind of shit like that makes me go, oh no, I can't yeah. listen to it anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But do you know what? I, I figured out as well, right? When I was trying to figure out how you save Muse years ago, they were, <laughs> Muse write better riffs than anyone. Yeah. Really. I, I, currently, they could still do better than anyone right now, mm. bar maybe uh, Rammstein or something like that. Yeah. Even then, I still think Muse write a better riff. They just forgot how to write a really like a solid song all the way through. Here's yeah. what I think sh- should have happened. It can't happen now. Daft Punk and Muse form a band. That'd be bananas. Imagine how good that would be. Yeah. Like with the madness going. Like they, they Daft Punk get to take everything Muse write and chop it up. Yeah. And write better songs, and then Matt Bellamy comes along and sings over it again. That'd be cool. Fix it. I think it would have been the best thing that ever happened in music for about an hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then I'd get yeah. bored of it. But yeah. I honestly think there's something about listening. I'm going. There's, there's certain bands like if you listen to Harder, Faster, Stronger by mm. uh, Daft Punk, and you imagine Muse coming in with a riff on top of that. <laughs> Tell yeah. me, right? That's, I don't yeah. know. It's just a crazy, crazy idea. But uh, I did see Muse live, and they are incredible. Oh, yeah, I, I well believe it. Um, that, this live album, Harp, H-A-R-P, um, was recorded in 2007 in Wembley Stadium over two nights to a total of 180,000 people. Jesus, yeah. Like, that's big. how big Wembley is. Wembley is bananas, like, bananas. Mm-hmm. 180,000 people over two nights. And they just picked and chose the fucking... Uh, used the same set for both nights, so when they were chopping it open for the DVD, it looked the same, you know? Like, yeah, si- yeah. Simple kind of trickery. Um, and I don't think there's, there's, as I said, when it's recorded live and uh, put on DVD and stuff like that, there's not really much room for overdubs. I mean, you could, but people might catch on. Uh, to I it. reckon there's not a, a massive I think amount. Straight up, a su- yeah. There's not a super massive amount left for Muse to be uh, fixing. Exactly. Um, I, I think it's straight up. Uh, 2008, this album came out. I only got this album a couple of weeks ago. I actually bought it in deals. Of all places. I always see about 500 copies of Harp in deals. Yeah. I bought one for 150 and put it on the other day. This is pretty good. Uh, and like the, I said, and the Dawson, Dawson's Creek soundtrack as well for some reason. Yeah, and OK Computer. Loves OK Computer and the full yeah, Ash sir. discography. Yeah. Oh God, they have so much Ash. And <laughs> yeah. one JJ 72s, I think. Yeah, they love JJ 72. And Take That and Gary Barlow. I don't know why. They have all Gary Barlow's yeah. uh, Christmas albums and deals and everything. Yeah. yeah. What else have they got? They have uh, the, the Old Skunk and Nancy and That's right. uh, Natalie and Brulia. Yeah, and loads like of like the, Sparkle Horse and all that kind of shit. Yeah, it's like the nineties. Yeah, in I always have a route because uh, sometimes I get a fresh batch in, and it's, it's one fifty. I bought stuff in there for one fifty that I checked on Discogs was worth forty quid. You know what yeah. I mean? So one hundred percent. Like even that yeah. that Muse album, like I bought that for one fifty, it goes for like sixteen, seventy quid. Um, <laughs> that was Muse. That was my last one. Uh, who was your last one? My last one is possibly my favourite live version of a song mm. ever. Mm. Possibly. Because of how intense it is. And mm. it's already a super intense song. 
we're hearing it live and hearing it uh, by the way this is one of the best recordings of a live song that ever happened and it is from the MTV studios um, so this is from Alanis Morissette's MTV Unplugged from 99 mm. this was the first single forget about the live version the, the original version it was the first single she released after Jagged Little Pill mm. which was her monstrous album from Monster. 95 and yeah. it's the album is it's so fucking good that to me now like I was sort of listening I couldn't really listen to Sarah McLachlan and Fiona Apple and all that it didn't do anything for me mm. really I needed something more like Kate Bush I needed to be a little bit either rockier or a little bit weirder mm. and Jagged Little Pill the first time I heard it I was like holy fucking shit yeah. that's insane that's real like I'm not saying that other female singers weren't singing the exact same stuff but when you hear like I think she had Eric Avery from Jane's Addiction uh, on bass and God, I can't remember who else was in that band but it was mm. such a good band as well that it was the full rock experience yeah the, the, uh, <laughs> uh, fucking <laughs> so this is the first song she releases after and everyone was like oh, what's her first single going to be mm. but she actually released it for the City of Angels soundtrack remember that movie with yeah. uh, uh, fucking Sleepless in Seattle head and Nicolas Cage I think was in it uh, Meg Ryan Meg Ryan yeah. Jesus Christ my brain just I'm losing I'm losing tell me about it honestly God falling out my fucking ears I, at night I think it, it could be I was talking to somebody it could be, could be that we don't talk to enough people because we're in lockdown yeah, definitely doing an awful lot of think, thinking and talking inside your yeah. head like yeah. so the, the internet um, the radio leak Sorry, this song was re- released, uh, leaked, one of the first songs to be really leaked mm. online, I think, as well. So uh, Warner Brothers had to rush out and release it. So it, it, it is on the City of Angels soundtrack. But when she did it uh, a year later in this, this version, is it still gives me chills every single time I hear mm. it. I played on the radio show a couple of times and people who would never be into Lannis Morris are like, who is this? Yeah. What, what is this song? So, uh, yeah, give it, a, give it a blem there and we'll... Uh, We'll enjoy it. I'd much prefer to listen to the whole thing, but we can't.
just like Led Zeppelin at their fucking yeah. highest point. You know, it's, do, you, do you know as well? There's loads of times that that breaks down across the whole song, but they have to do something with the drums to fill mm. the air because if they stop for a second, the crowd will start screaming. And it'll wreck the buzz. There's yeah. a bit where it just breaks down to the just piano slashes, notes, yeah. and he has to he has to do it. Yeah, yeah. he has to do it. A few slashes just to keep because honestly, there's a few times it sounds like that song is ending before it absolutely goes yeah. back up to ninety again. And uh, you're always like to the crowd going, "Please don't start cheering right in the don't middle." Don't wreck like it. The wreck the fucking yeah. feel of it. But they knew the song anyway. It's it's a massive song. Yeah, it was uh, it was huge at the time. It's really dark. It's really it is, yeah, uh, definitely. chilling, chilling. It's like a Baroque kind of feel to it, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. Always good. Um, like and yeah, it's just one of my favorites, and I absolutely love it. So that's that's uh, that's it, isn't it? That's all that I like. That is it. That is it, folks. So that was our, our list of uh, good playlist. It is a really good playlist. A lot of, uh, I have a love hate relationship with live albums. That I, I, to be honest, with you, I think record store record store they ruined live albums on me for like the last ten years. Where uh, I'd be going through the list every year and be like, I'd see an artist and be like, oh, oh, oh. And I'd be like, live in fucking Portugal, 1992. And I'd be like, I don't want another fucking live album. I just don't want it, you know what I mean? Re-release the, the record. and uh, But when I was a kid, I used to love live, live albums because they felt, they were always a little bit harder to get, so they felt like a little bit of a rarity. And yeah. it, it, if you remember... We went to that place on fucking Dame Street. Yeah, Not I mean... What's the one that had all the... The ropey uh, stuff it was on uh, some Wicklow Street downstairs. It's called the, the Record Spot or something. It was called. No, but there was one on Dame Street as well, where that super or that little, uh, news agent is. As oh, well. that's uh, FM. It was on Westmoreland Street. West Westmoreland. Street? Yeah, sorry, un- Westmoreland. Street, yeah, underneath know. underneath the fucking dodgiest bleeding spire with the, the Chaos Energy, Chaos Energy yeah. Landis. Sorry, um, on the corner yes. on the Connell Bridge. Yeah, it, it was pretty much underneath there. Uh, you went down. You went down a few steps, and there was a record. It wasn't really a record shop. They didn't close, but they sold records. Then there was a place that specialised in live live tapes, and that was on Wicklow Street. Um, would have been just opposite where Cornucopia is now. That was downstairs. It was called like a record store, a record. I can't remember what it's called. And yeah. they just had walls of ropey recordings. And that was a big deal. Also, if you remember, there was a guy on a Colin Bridge who used to sell them. You know, you'd buy like The Offspring, yeah, Live right, 92, yeah. Point Depot or some shit like that. And, They'd be uh, 90% sound like garbage, but at the time you weren't torture. really used to monstrously great sound. Exactly. Um, a lot of them are just people would smuggle in uh, dictaphones with a little wireless, or not a word, like a wired mic and they'd put it up their sleeve. And th- that's what you got. You got a crowd recording. They were shy. But sometimes you get lucky and you get a sound desk recording. And it sounds really, yeah. really good. But yeah. that was a big deal when I was a kid. Somebody got a new tape. Somebody got Nirvana. Well, or somebody the got main whatever. thing was to get the, the ones from the point. The gigs from the point. Yeah, Everyone would be going there getting the first radio head yeah. and all that stuff like that. Because just to feel that moment again. Like, Absolutely. You know, I, got, I knew a couple of lads that were involved in the recording scene over here. And they got to every single gig every single gig because uh, selling the tapes afterwards would make them a few quid pay for the tickets all that kind of shit like they get their yeah. night out at the gig and they'd make a few bob uh, recording it and they'd run straight home the minute the gig was over press stop on the tape run home and start dubbing copies and that was it yeah. and photocopying covers on fucking coloured paper to coloured make it look paper, fancy yeah, yeah. and it, it was such a big deal to sit around with your mates and listen especially Irish ones that like you might have been too young to go to you know what I mean? You missed out on, you know, Offspring in 1991 because you were fucking 10. You know what I mean? Or whatever. And you got to listen to them in Ireland. And, and or, or everyone the that goes like the SFX, like a lot of people missed out on the SFX because exactly. in my generation. 
I never yeah. got. I, I was outside the SFX, but I never got went. To, I never got to go to a gig there. I was. I, was I think I saw. I think I saw therapy there. So uh, if therapy played there. I saw that. Yeah, I. I'll tell you what I do have. I have a memory of being in there. I think I might have got snuck in by somebody, but I don't remember who I saw, and I don't know if I spent the night there. Do you know what I mean? I remember spend the night in, in the hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crept Lock, under the stage. Locked in. Yeah, like I remember. I remember being outside it. I remember roughly what the inside of it looks like, but I don't know who I saw, if I saw any of them, or if I got too afraid and ran home. Because that the SFX was fifteen minutes away from my house. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. it was it was handy to get to. I knew I was where it was. On, I was that rave then, though. To be perfectly honest with you, I was. I was my little raver then. I liked rock music as well, yeah. but. It took me a while to cross over when Ray yeah. started because I loved it. I love dance music. I used to make dance music. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that was uh, that it. was our episode where we talked about what sometimes makes a better version, and it's yep. a lot of these bands are much happier in on the stage and in the studio. Some Definitely. bands aren't, but these are clearly acts that hit that one song at least one song yeah, that, that was probably better than the studio yeah surpassed them uh, folks you like what we do you got to patreon.com forward slash lost art podcast that's a subscription based service for 5 euros a month to get you access to loads of exclusive stuff including the recordings of our live show that goes out every Saturday night the only place to hear them if you don't listen to them live is on Patreon uh, you can tip us by going to ko-fi.com forward slash lost art podcast if you like what we do just throw us a few quid price of a pint price of a coffee price of a fucking uh, catch bar it doesn't matter Give us something. Give us some money. Yeah. Uh, all of our links are on lostairpodcast.com. And uh, tell your mates. Tell yous our mates. It wouldn't be too harsh to tell your mates uh, just about, like, that's a good episode. Check this out. They might yeah. be bored. And yeah. then it's something that maybe is good to talk about. <laughs> I mean, that do it again. You don't have to be like, fucking listen to Lost. You know, you don't have to do that. But, like, maybe we talk about a band, you know, your mate likes. I tell them about that episode. That's all. Uh, yeah. That'll do it. Uh, folks, thank you. Uh, we're back on Saturday with a live show and then Monday after with another podcast. Uh, people keep getting confused about the difference between the live show and the podcast and it's bothering the shit out of me. <laughs> like, right. I see, uh, talking to people, they're like, are you doing a podcast on Saturday? I was like, I don't do podcasts on Saturdays. Like, you don't listen to podcasts on Saturdays. You know what you listen to? You listen to me and Helmut getting drunk. Like, on Saturday yeah. nights. That's what, that's what you hear. Not I think they enjoy the podcast. <clears throat> I mean, I think everybody who listens to the live show listens to the podcast. Anyway, most, but yeah. most of them. But uh, like, it's, there's two wings. There's, there's multiple wings to this fucking lost art thing. But like, the two main ones are the live show that's been running since the fucking pandemic here, and the podcast that's been running for a couple of years now. Like, there's now the bleeding difference. Like, fuck's sake, I'm talking about seeing fucking crackheads kiss down the canal. Like, <laughs> oh, lads. on Saturday night. <laughs> Some of that radio show stuff is incredible. Yeah, like, I'm not talking about fucking what version of Voodoo Child is better. Like, you know what I mean? Saturday, Monday morning gets you a factual, fun podcast with a playlist that might hopefully break you out to listen to the same fucking 10 songs that you've been doing for the last <laughs> five years. You know what I mean? On Saturday night, just crack open a can talk shite with us and we play a lot of music and have a bit of crack yeah. anyway uh, see you on Saturday Night Gang and uh, again share this podcast out. tell you as our mates see you after <laughs>